Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, and I've got a fabulous guest for you, an extraordinarily timely guest too. This person is an award-winning author, TEDx and international speaker, and a mental health and wellbeing consultant. At the age of just 13, she was involved in a major trauma at school, which changed her life forever. She's now passionate about challenging the stigma around mental health and supporting organizations and schools build mentally healthy cultures that are enormously engaging, emotionally engaging, honest and real places to work and thrive. She also spends a huge amount of time helping people manage their emotions in difficult times and it's a difficult time at the moment. Please welcome Liz Cashin. Liz, hi, how are you? Hi, James. Um, I'm I'm actually really good, thank you. But obviously, there's a lot going on at the moment um, around us. So, thank you so much for having me today. No, it's a pleasure. I'm so pleased the timing's kind of worked out right because um, you know we, when we're recording podcasts, obviously they get recorded a fair way in advance, and um, and at the moment we're we're living in a and and also you don't want to sort of you don't want to date your podcast so that they're not relevant. But right now, with what's going on in the in, with the virus in the world, it's a, a great time to talk to someone who's been through some really difficult things and managed to be extremely positive at the end of it all. But Liz, can you just do us a big favour, take us back in time, tell us what happened and and a, a bit of your story. Yes, of course. So um, I had a... I had a difficult childhood because I had um, a step parent who who drank um, too much, and with the increase in drinking came an increase in their temper, and right. so that really impacted my self esteem. And I was constantly being told there was something wrong with me, and I, I really over time started to, to believe that to be true, as children do. You know, we we start to believe what the adults around us are telling us. Um, so that was kind of my background story. And then one way that I really got recognition and a sense of well-being, I realize now, was that I used to play a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners um, were the same growing up. And, you know, I did netball, tennis. I just loved being outside and playing sports. And one year at the um, when I was 13, I was in the secondary school and mm-hmm. I was selected to throw the javelin for my school sports team. So I would throw in competitions against other schools and really got a lot of recognition through that, which I really thrived on at that point. Um, mm-hmm. And so I remember clearly it was the 15th of July, 1983, and I woke up really excited because I was going to be throwing the javelin for mm-hmm. my sports day that afternoon, which I'm sure, again, everyone remembers having a, a sports day at school. And when I got to school that morning, my, my teacher was asking, 
some of my classmates, would they volunteer to help out that afternoon if they weren't taking part in any of the events? So there were some of my classmates, uh, Sammy, Sarah and Sarah, all volunteered. So um, we went to morning classes. That afternoon, I was walking across the field, got to the javelin area and about five girls through before me. Um, I waited for my name, the teachers called my name, and I went into the throw area and, you know, I waited until they called my name again before I took my throw. But what had happened was those classmates of mine who'd volunteered in the morning, two of them were standing on the field, um, just to the just on the, the line on the field that would um, within which would be the throw area they were going to measure the javelin throw. So they were only 13 years of age and they were out okay. on, the, on the field. So I took a deep breath, um, did as I was instructed to do, took my run up and threw the javelin as hard as I could because I really wanted to win a medal. You know, I really thought this was a chance for me to shine. Hmm. Um, and initially the javelin was going straight and then at the very last minute it, it veered very sharply to the right so myself and the other girls around me, we screamed, my friend Sammy, we screamed her name because it was heading right towards her and she, and she wasn't looking. And at the very last minute she ducked and I thought, oh, thank goodness, you know, you know when you think you've had a close call. Mm. And then unfortunately the javelin did strike her in the head and then she just stumbled forwards and I just collapsed um, with the shock. As you can imagine, it was... It was um, overwhelming I just couldn't process as a 13 year old it was like some sort of scene from a horror film I just couldn't understand what was going on so anyway to to talk about later that day I, I went up to the hospital to tell Sammy that I you know to see if she was okay I thought I'd blinded her and um, we were told that she'd been transferred to a different hospital and I remember saying to my mum is she going to die and mum said yes I think so and Four days later, she died in hospital from her injuries. Liz, I've heard you tell this story a few times, and it still gives me the most horrendous shudder. Yeah. Um, and goosebumps, and you know, I, 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 I love that you tell it. I've, I had no idea how you tell it. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's an incredible thing. And at just thirteen, how do you process even what's just happened? Um, well, I couldn't really. I mean, I. I went into such a state of shock. And I think from what I know now about trauma, it's almost like a part of me had to split off, um, which may, may sound a bit strange, but in order for me to survive, mm. I had yeah. to completely split off from that trauma because it was too much for me to, to bear. And, yeah. you know, we're talking about the 80s and there was no counselling back then, nothing. I mean, yeah. by today's standards, that's unbelievable. Um a GP said it didn't even need to go on my medical record. You know, it wasn't that serious. That's what he said to mum. I know. What, what, what did they consider serious? Yeah, I, mean, I know. It's, uh, it's, yeah. yeah. So I'm really a story of um, triumph over adversity. But also, you know, we look at the moment about there's all these cues for CAMs for young people to get the right help and you know, and I'm, they really do need it. There's a lot of mental health issues. I didn't get any of it. And I have still managed to come through at a later stage. So, I, you know, I really want my story to be one of hope. I think, you know, that's, yeah. that's a key part. Because um, I lived with undiagnosed 
post-traumatic stress disorder for over 30 years. I, it was only in 2017 I had my diagnosis and treatment of that, although I'd tried lots of different holistic things over the years just to try and feel better because I, to be honest, I didn't really understand why I was feeling so bad for a lot of the time. You know, I was in mm. chaos in my mind and a lot of shame around that, a lot of shame. And I think that's um, what a lot of people struggling with their mental health do feel. Well, I guess shame about how you're feeling, but guilt, I, I presume, oh, as well. Oh, yes. I, I felt so much. I was overwhelmed by guilt um, because I didn't have any help to process it. And so, and because of my step-parents step at home, we couldn't even talk about it at home. So right. I, I literally couldn't talk. But what I did used to do was write letters to Sammy in my bedroom. I used to write to her. And I got a great deal of comfort. Obviously, I knew those letters would never be posted or read, but I felt mm. some connection to her through those letters in being able to tell her that I hadn't meant it and I was so sorry and, you know, I hoped that she would forgive me. Um, and I never thought that I would be able to um, move on from the guilt. I just thought, how can I? Because the, the inquest said the school were responsible. She should never have yeah. been standing where she was. And school should have made sure that she was looking you know she wasn't when she wasn't so um they said that you know I had done exactly as I was told to do but I had seen what had happened and been there and as a 13 year old I thought it was entirely my fault you know that there was something inherently wrong with me that um, my stepdad was right that actually you know not only was there something wrong with me that I was must be inherently evil that's what I thought and so I carried those beliefs with me oh goodness me i mean i know in australia at school there was a folklore of, of of a similar thing happening in a different state and that that was why we didn't do javelin at school right um you know and so it's it's one of those those what shouldn't be a dangerous thing um mm. but how they leave you without any help is you know i, I is beyond me really and and so why how did you how did it come through? You know, living with post-traumatic stress disorder, mm. I can't imagine because obviously I haven't. Well, not yeah. I haven't. Yeah. Um, but how does that how does that come out in your life? How does it affect you? Um, well, it impacted me in many different ways. So I would avoid any situations which I felt were too dangerous. So, you know, I couldn't go on fairground rides, for example. That was just way too dangerous. That's just one kind of normal example. But, um, you know, staying away from any edge that may, you know, cliff edges or, you know, not being able to go anywhere near and just unconsciously avoiding a lot of situations. But right. I would have things like fireworks. Fireworks is my least favourite day of the year because I literally feel that when the fireworks go off, it for me, it's almost like I've been shot. You know, my whole nervous right. system just goes ballistic on, you know, have this fight, flight, freeze, panic mm -hmm. response. Um so there was all sorts of different ways like that. But also I felt completely disconnected from myself and also from other people. It was like I was living in some sort of glass box. I just felt yeah. like I didn't understand how how to function like other people did. So I enormous amount of yeah. energy to pretend to be normal. That's the best way to describe it. I used to try and pretend to be normal so that no one would see actually what, what was really going on inside. Um, and then in my, I went... I was really proud of myself because I focused on my exams, got my exams, uh, moved out of the home when I was 17 into a council flat. So away from everyone, I did my A-levels, passed them, went off to university. And then I really started to fall apart. And um, 
someone introduced me to ecstasy and as soon as I took it there was like relief there was there was no pain in fact there was connection there was joy um not that I'm advocating drugs I'm just saying for me that was the first time ever really I felt um I felt good even though it was an artificial thing and so um over the next 10 years I just took more and more and more and I'd be going to work in the week and then out clubbing at the weekends and very ashamed of this double life I was living and oh I mean I look back now and I just think how resilient I am in you know to have really come through all of that um and still kept going and still kept still kept uh hoping for a better day I think that's you know something that just kept going and thinking at some point surely this has to get better and um and then it did but that holding that secret the the secret well you because you, you didn't talk about this with people so yeah um how did you keep all that silent and 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 quiet I mean you you're with your friends with work colleagues I think um I think because I was so ashamed I just think you know I didn't want I thought if people knew that like what had happened that they would then reject me. Um, mm-hmm. that was my biggest fear. People, people know what I've done. You know, that's how I saw it, that, um, that I've killed my friend, even though it was an accident, um, that then they would, they would really see this evil person that I had believed I myself to be. And so built up all this protection. There's like, a, I was like Fort Knox, you know, with all sorts right. of different layers of protection just to try so that nobody could see um, inside. And, of course, what that did was just kept me trapped as well. It was like I didn't yeah. need to – in my mind, I'd already, you know, judged myself, been judge and jury and found myself guilty. Um, but I didn't need to go to a physical prison because I was locked in one inside my head. That's, you know, that was – So what changed? Um, well, interestingly, I was on a sales training course um, was my late twenties, and it was um, Dale Carnegie sales training course. So okay. we had to read very, the book. Very famous for, very for people famous. who don't know the sales yeah. world. Dale Carnegie is kind of one of the old style gurus, really. Yeah, so the unlikeliest of places. But I read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People mm-hmm. as a part of the course, and he says, "If you think and act positively, you will become positive." And very yeah. simple. Very simple. And I know yeah. that people talk about light bulb moments, but actually this, it literally was like as if a light bulb went off in my head and I thought, oh, you mean I've got choice. I've got choice over how I think. I've got choice mm. over how I feel. It really was, you know, another defining moment for me because up until then I just felt myself a victim. I thought, you know, all of, all of these things have happened to me. There's nothing I can do. Why was I born to create so much misery for myself and others? And then suddenly I thought, oh, if I change the way I think, will that change, you know, my life? Will it change my experience? So I kind of started to experiment to see um, if I could do that. And I remember going home from the training course that day and I spent time with a friend and I, I walked in and she said, oh, hi, how are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm exhausted, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, wait, 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 I'm going to go out and I'm going to come back in again. <laughs> and she looked at me like I was a bit weird. And I went out, I came back in and she said, hello, Liz, how are you? And I said, 
just learned some really cool things on a sales training course. Um, you know, I am a bit tired from work and, you know, it's been a really positive day in other ways. And so I, I started to realize where I was being very negative in my thinking and start to see if I could switch to be a more positive reframe. Right. And I think that is a key thing if people can hold on to that at the moment. Not that I'm saying it's a positive thing that's happening, but what I learned was the power of also. So this appears to be really bad, and also there are some good things that are happening. And also I can choose to see what I can do in a more positive way as a result of what's happening. And also, and it just helps to shift, to not get stuck in. Because I think at the moment, a lot of us are in panic and overwhelm and anxiety and fear. And that's how I felt, you know, a lot of the time back then. Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this week, obviously, with the coronavirus outbreak, with this, with businesses being closed, with people being sent home, yeah. um, schools at some point will um, surely close too. Um, we're being asked to isolate if we're over 70 or in high-risk groups. Um, people have no idea where their income is going to come from. They don't know how they're going to look after their children. They don't know whether they're going to be able to afford their rent or whether they're going to be made homeless. Um, all these things that you think in, in normal life wouldn't be a terrible concern for most people, but for most people now they are. Yeah. It's um, how do – how do you reframe this? I mean, I hear what you're saying, and also there's all these good things happening. People are, you know, rallying around in communities. People are looking after each other. Um, but how do you manage your, your emotions with this kind of thing going on? Yeah, it's a really, really good um, question. And I think the first thing to say is that, you know, we can't control what is happening on a global level. I don't know if you know the seven habits of highly effective people when he talks about circle of influence, circle of concern. Mm -hmm. And if we're panicking about things that we have no impact over, that is not going to be helpful for us. But what we can do is look at what what are the things that are within our influence or within our control. And so the first thing, I think a lot of us have been in denial initially like, oh, yep. this isn't going to happen to me. You know, this is a, a lot of what we think when we see things on the news. Oh, that will never happen to me. And suddenly it's happening to us. And so yeah, it's, like, it's just flow. It's nothing really important yeah, to worry about. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it'll all be fine. And then suddenly it's like, oh, there's no food in the shops. Oh, what am mm-hmm. I going to do? My friend yesterday, there was no baby milk for her baby, you know, no formula. So right. then, then people are going into that causes more panic. So I think the first thing is accept accept what's happening even though it's really really painful is to say this is happening yeah this is happening and what is it that I can now do within my circle of influence to make this um the the best for myself and my family and my loved ones and my community what is it that I can influence so if I'm not in a high risk category can I go and support somebody who is you know can I leave food on their doorstep that is something I can choose to do it's still in a very giving space yes Um, you know if I if I'm worried I can't pay my rent or I can't pay my mortgage I can ring my bank I can speak to my landlord you know that's within my control so start to take the control that you can take 
even if you're still really worried about the bigger outcome. There are things that we can start to do on a very practical level. So I'd say initially, you know, we can't choose what's happening, but we can choose how we respond to what's happening. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a key, a key thing. There's always different perspectives and you know, these challenges can be opportunities. But I know that's, you know, that's easier for me to say because I'm not in a high risk category here. And for, and for people who are, you know, they're not going to be seeing the opportunity for this potentially right now. But maybe the opportunity is just to be spending um, more reflective time. You know, maybe it's being able to um, maybe start to learn to meditate or to read some inspirational books you know maybe that's the thing that they can do or to learn how to skype or zoom and actually keep connected with people worldwide you know loved ones worldwide we may not physically be able to see each other but we can certainly talk to each other that is something we I, can do. yeah when you mentioned that i mean i was i was talking to someone yesterday about this and saying you know once this all settles down in fact before we went on there we were talking about it too that you know different ways of work people don't like change none of us do yeah. We like what we know. We like what's normal. Um, you know, when things change and we have no control over that change, it feels very. We feel very out of sorts. Yes. Um, and it takes time to adapt to to the yes. difference. Um, yeah. And remote remote working is an interesting thing. I've been doing it for a very long time. Um, so I have my own sort of strategies for doing that, which includes you know getting out of the house, making sure I go where there's other people. Um, you know, different things that you do each day to to make it less, um, <laughs> I guess, less remote. Yeah. Um, but the ability, you know, talking on a Zoom call, um, I do it so much I don't think about it. But my wife, Mandy's a psychologist. Um, she was doing some sessions yesterday um, on, on Zoom. She found it difficult because she wasn't used to it. Yeah. But, you know, in a few days' time, it'll become natural. And I think once once people we get used to change sometimes, little things like this which throw us out. Yes. Um, and when you talk there about, um, you know, basically looking for opportunities. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder how much we, you know, when we often say things to ourselves like, you know, if I only had time, would I read that book? And if yes. I had some time, you know, well, now you may have some time. Yeah. Um, you know, I've discovered one of the interesting things this about working remotely is when you're used to having a team, when you're used to having people around you, when you're used to having people placing demands on you constantly, when you work from home on the odd occasion, you get a lot done, don't you? Oh, yeah. Um, a huge amount because you haven't got those distractions. Now, when we work remotely, it's very similar. Um, and I wonder, you know, if people work in the most sensible way they can we can take advantage of this now and use that opportunity to do a few of these things that you know we keep saying we, we wish we had time for definitely and and I think you know the way we work is absolutely going to transform coming out of this because I think you know at the moment it's really good for our ecology because no one's flying so for a start you know that's that's changing but it's meaning people are going to adapt do more stuff online so moving forwards that mean you know, even more benefits to the environment, because if we can learn to do more things online, then we won't have to travel so much. So, um, you know, that could be great for all of us. So I think there are things that are going to come out of this that we can't foresee at the moment. And at the moment, we're if we're in shock, we, we lose um, access to our rational functioning. 
We just go into right. that fight, flight or freeze. And it's just, that's why there's this panic buy in the shops because people are thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I've got to go and, you know, I'm going to stockpile. I'm, and it's, it all becomes about our survival mechanism. And we're not thinking rationally about the elderly in our community. or It's just like, I'm going to die. I need to get these things in, you know, and that's it. And then people will start to settle down and, and then it will will level out more. But I think we do need this kind of, this time period, like you say, where we're just adjusting at the moment because we've had the denial. It's not going to happen to me. Oh my goodness, it is happening to me. Maybe we're starting to hear about, I heard yesterday about the first person who is in my um, extended awareness who um, we think has it. I haven't been in contact with them, but the first actual person I know, you know, so that's starting to happen now. Yeah. Yeah, I had that this morning with a guy I went to school with, and he's in Western Australia, he's a long way from here. Mm. Um, but you think, oh, actually, I, oh goodness, I actually know somebody now. Yes, exactly, and that that is bound to happen more. So I think our fight, flight, fight, flight, flight to freeze is kicking <laughs> in. But I think for me, things like mindfulness and meditation help me yeah. so much with that. You know, I have been doing a lot of meditation this week because. Having been through major trauma myself, I, you know, it was triggered in me. I felt it go, oh, but I recognize it. I know what it is. Other people won't. They'll just be in it at the moment. And so, you know, I really want to encourage people to, um, if you can, even just go in the garden and just put your feet on the ground to ground yourself. You know, if we're in shock, we can be in our heads and out of our heads. And what we really need to do is come back more into our bodies. So just even being on the ground outside going for a walk and just breathing in the air can really help us at the moment well, well let's can we talk a bit more about these tools and strategies then because you, you talked about kind of you know accepting where we are yeah. looking at what we can influence looking at you know th- those things what else can people do what when when they're sitting there thinking oh woe is me what the hell's going on yeah how do they take control back i think um just maybe even trying to look at a plan of, okay, so this is me now. Um, so what are the things I need to do? If you've got your family, if you've got your work, you know, even just starting to map that out, even, you know, as a family can help. If you're putting it down somewhere, you're actually seeing it. That's really going to help to be able to then organize around it rather than just being this constant panic in our heads. We can mm-hmm. start, to, you know, if we need to look at finances, start to map that out. What, what finances do you need to look at? What can you do now? all of those areas if that's your work you know how do you need to organize yourself at home like you say it may be weird for some people initially but um after a few days that will become you know we'll, we'll get used to it and that will be okay so just knowing that asking for help I think, is a key one and i really think this is a, a massive opportunity for us to um, normalize mental health because at the moment, I can guarantee you, even those people who two weeks ago said, I've never had a problem with my mental health, will be feeling some sort of anxiety at the moment or stress. Sure. Most of us must be. And so a real opportunity to start to talk about that more, to um, allow ourselves to be vulnerable. And I've got a quote, if I may, if I've got time, just from yeah, Brené Brown. I don't know if you know Brené Brown. She's done some amazing yes. um, vulnerability. Um, she says... And I think this is really great at the moment in if we can start to allow ourselves to to be more vulnerable is vulnerability is based on mutuality and requires boundaries and trust. It's not oversharing. It's not purging. 
It's not indiscriminate disclosure and it's not celebrity style social media information dumps. Vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and our experiences with people who have earned the right to hear them. And so I think for me at the moment, that means talk to a friend, talk to your family, talk to trusted people. If in your organisation you're thinking, we don't have that, then now is the time to really start to think about that. How can you start to build more trust within teams so that people can start to share? You know, we're all feeling anxiety. If we can talk about it, we can help to support each other and to move through it. If we're all sitting here in silence, in panic, that's not going to help any of us. So I think voicing it is a really great step. I, I think that's um, a fantastic quote and a really good message, message as well. Um, having spoken with, with Gian Power earlier in the year, I know you mm. know each other. Um, yes. You know, and it talks a lot about um, being your authentic self, but but be allowing your story to to come out and to, to and to not um, and not to hide behind the reality of who you actually are. Yes, um, yeah. And that th- this is a really good time to think about that to say, well, you know, we're all in this boat. You know, how are you coping and how are you feeling? And gee, yes. you know, what what can I do to help? Um, yes. It's not a time to look at what we can get, but it's very much yes. a time to look at what we can give and. Um, and you mentioned another thing there, actually, which was which was meditation. Do you meditate? Mm, I do every day, every day. Um, so I, there's loads of things out there. You know, people want to get apps. You've got Headspace app. There's Insight Timer. There's Calm. You know, you can. Um, there's a free version of them, and then you can pay to extend. You know, and get mm-hmm. different levels. But at the moment, you, you know, it's good. You can hear somebody else guiding you. Then that can just take your mind off things for a while. And that can be really beneficial just to help to settle ourselves. And even a, a really simple thing people can do is take three deep breaths. And when I say deep breath, I mean, when you breathe in, you breathe right into the bottom of your belly and it expands like a balloon. Mm-hmm. And then you just let it go like really slowly. And what it does is give a sign to our parasympathetic nervous system that everything's okay. And so we start to calm down naturally. So just taking just a few deep breaths can really, really help. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, just try and see if you can take some really deep breaths, maybe get outside in nature, maybe listen to music. You know, that can be good. Have a dance around your living room. (laughs) That's what I do. (laughs) I love to just put music on and have a dance. It really helps me. Yeah, you know, sometimes being a bit silly is a really good thing to be. Yeah. but that uh, that deep breath. I mean, I I I look at this and think, you know, I used to so poo poo this stuff. Um, I use the Calm app, which is really kind of um, uh just just um, led medit. It's not meditation so much as mindfulness, and it's just you know you just follow the the voice and and but the focus it gives you and the sense of well being it gives you, I think, is quite incredible. And if people are listening, yes. just thinking, who are these old hippies? Um, <laughs> you know, seriously, do it. Yeah. Take the breaths, you know, download one of these apps, have a go with it. If you're feeling overwhelmed, yeah. stop, get off the treadmill for 10 minutes. It's like yeah. they're only 10 minute things. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then come away from it and see how you feel. And, um, the reality for me has been, and, and for a lot of people I know as well, is that, you know, actually it gives you a sense of clarity. It does. Um, 
Yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's really helpful. Liz, I'm so, so delighted we could catch up right now. Um, yeah. Timing couldn't have been better. But, you know, and you've given a lot of really good thoughts and lovely, you know, ideas of things that people can do, little strategies and, and things that they can put in, in their day and in their place. What's the big one? Have you got one big thing that people could be doing now to to make, well, I usually ask to make their businesses better, but I'm not, to make their lives better for today and better for the years to come? Liz, what would that be? I would say lead by example. So allow yourself to walk your talk. Be the change that you want to see. You know, be kind, be open, be, be vulnerable with yourself and also with those around you. I think at the moment, this is what we all need to do, is all to lead by example. Fantastic, Liz. Thank <laughs> you so, so much. That's been great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Only One Business Show, and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.